0: Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill.
1: Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people.
0: Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. All righty, everybody. Welcome back uh, to the Sounds of the World podcast. Our guest today was born and raised in Armenia in the Caucasus Mountains. She received her undergraduate and graduate degrees in music composition and music theory at the Tchaikovsky Special Music School and in composition and musicology at the Komitas State University in Yerevan, Armenia. Uh, She also holds a doctorate of musical arts degree in music composition from the University of Missouri, Kansas City Conservatory of Music and Drama. Uh, Her music is substantially influenced by traditional Armenian folk and sacred music. She uses musical language, of her heritage to compose and perform new works. Uh, She's composed for a range of musical instrumentation, including voice, instrumental, chamber, to symphonic. Her music utilizes space, stretching structural expectations. I apologize. And for pulling from her love of improvisational performance, typical of much of the folk music she grew up with. She's currently a member of the Union of Composers of the Republic of Armenia. Today, we're going to talk to her about her music, what inspires her, a few of her pieces and how her faith influences her music. Please welcome Dadev Amirian. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Thank you
2: for hosting me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. It's great to meet, like, see you face to face and talk to you. And uh, it's been great learning your music, or at least listening to your music.
1: Yes. Enjoy it. I kind of binged you this afternoon, and I don't know. I loved all of it. Everything I listened to, I was totally blown away and just completely excited to talk to you today.
2: Very much. I appreciate interest.
0: All right. Well, let's just start from the very beginning. So maybe you can tell us, like, what your musical background is, and uh, if you come from like a musical family, or if you're kind of like me and you're the odd one out. <laughs>
3: So I grew up in a very small rural town in Armenia, um, right before the war started between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Um, so my, in Armenia, musical education is very important and there are public music schools where uh, children start going from six, seven years old. So I started from, the, from going to this school and learning piano solvège uh, music history. Then I started um, uh, at the college, again, as a pianist, then at the Tchaikovsky School and the State Conservatory. So it was very long uh, journey, uh, eventually uh, taking me to United States to complete my doctoral degree. Uh, so my musical background uh, is very much rooted to Armenian music traditions. Because growing up in Armenia, um, you are surrounded by music in every aspect of your daily life. You know, from the church and family gatherings, or my mom singing, uh, um, lulling me to sleep. So everywhere was music, and that was the environment I grew up. But uh, my family is um, there is no musician in my family.
0: You were the 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 one that got into the whole thing,
3: huh? It was really a surprise for my parents, and they they did not really think that I would go so far. Uh, they kind of didn't really take me seriously what I was doing, writing music at the <laughs> age of seven and eight, just really writing music, literally, like ah. with pencil and paper. And they just they saw that's, they they that's. I just grew up thinking it's normal, you know, because my Mm. parents didn't treat me like I was a special child. So I grew up thinking this, this is normal. Everyone do this, all the children do this. So, so that's, that, that's why I kind of got that impression about myself, that there's nothing really special about me. And it made me work harder and harder, trying to improve myself and trying to get better to please my parents, (laughs) you know, and and to make myself feel that I really deserve. And am Really, there is something special about me, you know. But um, it's interesting that my parents did not really praise me too much or um, push me. You know, I, I, they never made me practice. I was, I always practiced myself. I had really good discipline as wow. a child. And um, I think, I think I felt that I'm, I'm born for music. So it, it kind of made me feel really responsible from a very young age. That's why when the children were playing outside, I was practicing piano and they all were laughing at me. They thought I'm crazy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely sympathize with that. I was uh, the only music person in my family. My uncle's a lawyer, you know, my mom's a professor, my cousins are all in law or stand-up comedy and uh i like love piano from the very like from six and uh like you i was just always self-determined to practice and my mom never made me practice i was always like practicing i'd see kids outside riding bikes and things and i'm over there
1: so what kind of music? You mentioned you'd have music at family gatherings. Um,
0: oh, I have a naughty doggy.
1: <laughs> I know I had to shut my door for mine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Here
1: it is just doing what it wants to do. Oh, no problem. Uh, I was just going to ask. So you mentioned you had um, music at family gatherings. What, what was that like or what did you guys do?
3: No Armenian um, music. Music was a part of Armenian culture from very old times, so we have really old music traditions, both folk music and sacred music, um, which was passed orally up up until like the this beginning of mm, the late nineteenth century, beginning of twentieth century, when Gomita started writing it down. Um, so. Those songs that I, I heard and my mom sang for me or my my family um, members, those, those are old Armenian folk songs, you know, that passed from generation to generation. Say, my grandma's grandma at her wedding had that dance or their, their song. So I I could hear that dance or that song, say, my aunt's wedding, you know. So those those old traditions were kind of part of my childhood that affected me a lot, you know, and uh, probably became a part of my musical identity later, just um, becoming a part of my musical style. So mostly uh, of Armenian folk music.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Oh, man, I kind of just, I can't even imagine what that would have been like growing up. I feel like in America, I had... I don't know, we had like our radio songs and my mom loved the Beatles and so we'd listen to that, but really nothing that can kind of compare in a way of um, bringing that, like keeping that family tradition alive and that rich history and passing that on to your kids. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Growing up, I almost didn't realize that I'm a part of
1: a
3: very special national nationality.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, but later when I moved to United States and I used to go say when I go to church and they say this is an old church out and say it's from mm, 1800. I remember <laughs> that we still have churches from 5th century where we go and there's a still service going on, you know. Oh my gosh. So when I realized how old we are and how we did our old traditions to those old times, so that made me feel very different here in the United States the first time in my life. Because I was in a bigger world, you know, I could compare myself to other nationalities, people of other nationalities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know when I went to, I studied abroad in England, and I remember standing in churches that had been built like, I don't know, 1070 or the 1400s, and thinking like, this is like... Two or three times as old as my country. This is insane, and it's it's still alive. They're still having mass here. They're still singing every Sunday and for all their services. And I I can kind of I can't imagine what it's like coming from the other side and being like, no, this isn't old. This is like a drop in the bucket. We've been doing this for so many I mean like so many so many hundreds of years, and oh, that's really cool.
0: Yeah, I mean I I, I we've talked a little bit about this like on on chat. But Like the only real thing from Armenia that I know of was you know the horrible Armenian genocide you know uh and um and then of course uh, there was uh oh crap, what's the band called system oh, of down. <laughs> yes, thank you, uh system of a down that you know they're they're very active in trying to educate the world and what happened with turkey and um it's so cool to look like discover more about Armenia and discover about, um, you know, how ancient the culture is and how ancient the people are. And you know, we America likes to think that they're so old, but we're, we're still, they're still babies, you know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um just the age i think it's also the experience that we had as a people you know all the hardships that we went through that's what made us so different like so um strong and hardworking. because we always had that danger that we will be exterminated you know we can just get exterminated as a nation just like assyrian people you know the assyrian people also were massacred during that 1915 and there are very few Assyrian people left in the world. They they just literally lost their culture, you know, which is really tragic. So Armenians had always that fear that we will lose our culture, you know, that we had for so many centuries, uh, which is the reason, I think, why we work so hard and why we are so creative, trying to do things, you know, to preserve our culture. We talk about our culture so much every. Where we try to feed them everyone with our traditional dishes, you know, <laughs> and talk about ourselves a lot. So it's about it's it's kind of syndrome of a small nation that um, survived different kinds of uh, dangers, you know, for, of being exterminated. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the reason why people don't know about us is because we are so little. Mm -hmm. Because only three million Armenians living in 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 Armenia, only three million, so we are very very little country, and um, there are millions of Armenians living outside of Armenia because of the genocide and because of all those massacres. You know massacres in Baku, Azerbaijan, in uh, last century, the end of the last century. So people live in other countries. Those Armenians, they were forced. To, leave, to to survive, you know, it was not their choice, they wanted to live in their home, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you can see Armenian in every every point, every part of the world because of that, you know. So the Aspora, um plays a huge role in trying to support Armenia, you know, financially and um, and uh, Armenian to, to promote Armenian culture to educate people, like, say, Serge Tankian, he's also uh, a member of the uh, dias- diaspora. So, um, and I'm also already part of the diaspora. Of course, I'm half old, me in Armenia, but still, the hard work that I do that I mentioned um, today earlier uh, is because of that fear that we are so. Well so left so few, you know, we have to keep talking about us, keep educating people about us. So that's that's the problem of that's just problem of being a small uh nation.
0: Yeah, I mean I think Houston has more people in it than yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And during the war time, uh, a lot of people immigrated to other countries because the living conditions were really, really harsh in Armenia. And I can still remember the hardships uh, we lived through, you know, when I was a child. Um, honestly, I I just started realizing, um, living, living in the United States and seeing the conditions people leave, the children, you know, the childhood they have. I started realizing um, how joyless was my child tra- was my childhood you know mm. it was just um, I thought it's just a real life you know I, I grew up thinking this is a real life everyone live like this you know mm. like it, there's a world in the in everywhere you know I because I, I haven't been outside of the United States uh, the Armenia. so I I just lived in that small world and I imagine the big old According to that small word, you know. But only after you leave Armenia and go to the bigger world, you'll realize what a so difficult life you had, you know, and uh, how unfair it was to you as a child to have that kind of childhood.
2: Yeah. I
1: think, especially like as Americans, we take, we take for granted, or, you know, we have, there's so much wealth in this nation. And I think a lot of us, I don't know, my, myself included, I grew up privileged and I had. I don't think I ever worried about anything a day in my life growing up as a kid. And I, I think it's, we have big, this bigger country syndrome where we we think everyone around the world has that same, you know, happy go lucky, joyful childhood. And not everyone in America has that childhood, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to hear, you know, around just from other people and around the world and their stories. And, and it really just, I don't know, not gut punches you but kind of and makes you just grow as a person thinking like okay you need to look outside where you've come um because there's so many different things going on in the world and your bubble's not your bubble. I don't know, your bubble's not everything so I don't know. Thank you for sharing your that, that part of your story with us cuz it I don't know, it, it always helps me to hear and and grow and learn and
3: thank you for asking um Honestly when people complain about the covid when covid started and people starting complaining about the situation i do understand it's unusual for american people or other people in the world um but for me it was not really a big uh, discomfort because i lived without electricity i know you know i've i lived i have been hungry i've lived without electricity you know we, we would have maybe like 2 3 hours two hours of electricity during the day, you know. Mm-hmm. rest of the time we're just in the darkness under the cane of light. So I, I, I was I was used to that life, you know, I I been I, I, I used to be hungry, you know, or just cold, you know, just living the cold, you know. Yeah. So that's why I, I realized that how easy for me of course it's tragic. I understand how tragic is this but uh, I kind of adopted to this life easier because I realized that there are worse things than this in the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Thank you. I think that's a message all of us need to hear and be reminded of.
3: <laughs>
0: it's a piece of fabric.
2: Food,
3: you know, I, I think that if you have food and you have place to live, then you should be grateful, you know, because there are people who starve, you know, they literally starve at this moment. We're talking, you know, Yeah. And those things are happening in the world, you know, that's why I think that it's thanks God people have food and place, you know, to live. Uh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, so, so what are some of your uh, inspirations or who are some of your inspirations?
3: Uh, you know I have been always drawn to composers who have some specific national background uh composers um who could stand out with their individuality uh not owing to their national background, not only because they could use their national background but because also they could do it the way that it 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 sounds so um natural and so genuine and so brilliant mm. uh, for example uh bella Bartak, you know Bartak has been my inspiration always like he's the model i always wanted in my music or armenian composer tigran mansurian who is also that kind of example of um perfectly blending his own armenian background and his own style and uh Embedding it into the contemporary music world. Um, Arvo Piart, um, wow. I think he's also one of the most unique composers. Um, and I, I kind of find his music close, really close to my music because of the minimalistic, right. his minimalistic approach. He's very subtle sound, you know, he's using little things to say big things, you mm-hmm. know. So I I really, he really um inspired me to write, you know, pieces that, that kind of adopt that approach. You know, you don't have to yell or you don't have to talk a lot to say important things. You can just say it with three words, right? And you can say it quietly, you know? So he, he told me a lot, his music taught me a lot. Um, Copland, you know, Gershwin, composers who have this vivid, uh, brilliant um, representation of their culture in their own inner worlds, you know, Uh, Tanya Leon, she's one of my most favorites. And she her composition inspired me some of my pieces to write my piano pieces. Um, I'm trying to remember whom I didn't mention. Tigran Mansurian I mentioned, Armenian composer. Um Ginastera, he's mm-hmm. he's also he's, uh, he he really inspired me a lot. Composers have this very, very bright, you know, uh, individuality in the music and you can just recognize it like in thousands of miles, you know, the Cesar PR, you know. Oh, so yeah. I think that's the kind of composer I wanted tried tried and wanted to become Uh, that I can preserve my national identity, but I can embed myself to the speak contemporary music world and um, say something new, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I love that. I I love that it's such a diverse group, and it's all these composers that, like you said, they really kind of took what was going on around them, what they were taught, and then they created their own world with it, and an original yet uh still hearkening back to where they're from you know i love it's a, instead of recreating what's already been done you know
3: <laughs> and staying loyal to their to, to their roots
0: is really
2: yeah.
3: important for me it, it's oh, it's actually hard to stay loyal yeah. to your roots when you live say in a huge Humongous uh, world that's the United States, you know, it's a musical world that you see so many different composers and uh, the danger that you will lose yourself or you will kind of lose your face as a composer is pretty mm-hmm. big. You know, you, you have to be really smart to find a way to stay loyal and to be yourself.
1: Oh, absolutely. I can identify with
0: that. <laughs> yeah, I, I always, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I think especially like as I was um, studying my undergrad for music composition, you know, we were always encouraged. I don't know if this was just the University of Montana, but they were always encouraged to to try a new sound and try like to go as far away from yourself as possible. And I remember when I graduated, I just kind of felt like I had been shattered and I was like, I don't even know who I am. I don't know what I even sound like anymore. I've been so distorted as I've gone through and... I really like that sentiment of staying true to you, to who you are and, and speaking to your roots. I really like that.
0: Yeah. That's something I'm going to have to remember. Cause I always feel like I'm a fish in this giant sea of composers, you know, uh, mm-hmm. having seen the mass numbers of people applying for, for positions or for, you know, these grants and performances and things and just being like, Ugh, I'm just, Taking up someone else's spot, or you know, this is this is awful. Why I have I can't compare to David Little or to you know someone else? Why should I even try? So. Um, I think that the uh, most um,
2: amazing thing to about the United States and the music world is the competition.
3: How much competition uh, is in the music? say, people come from different countries to study here, do career, and they all have a great background,
2: they all have
3: a great education, they write really good music, they are very good performers, they all bring their own uh, music school traditions, say, people who come from Russia or Israel, you know, they come with really great performing tradition Or from from Asia, you know, China, Japan. So there's such a big competition. It is amazing that it's good because it makes you work on yourself even harder, uh, harder than if you lived in other country. But it's also hard because it's it, it it's it's too much pressure. Sometimes you feel like I can't do this. I'm not going to compete with anyone. You know, especially in composition world competition is not um acceptable to me i don't accept composition competitions say if you are a performer there is a level you can compare and say she has this higher level of professional professionalism or he you know and that's why we give her the first prize or give him the first, first prize, but in composition you can't really compare the composers, you know. They all write music, all, um, in their own way, you know, in their own way of high quality. So I don't really find that right that it's right to, to compare the composers and judge them. That's just my personal opinion.
1: As a I love that sentiment because that's. I feel like, and maybe, you know, anyone that has applied to a composition competition, you like submit your work and then you go, this is subjective. It's all going to be who's judging it. And, you know, there's some level of technical um, ability that you can judge. Okay, how well did they execute this vision that they had? But I I completely agree.
3: <laughs> you know, there are rules, they follow principles. But in composition, say if the judge writes a tone of music, um say, I write very tonal music, then I have very little chance that that judge will give me say, chance, you know, to move to the next round or say, <laughs> get a prize, you know, because it's very biased, you know, it's very personal approach, you know, uh, and uh, but in uh if you are pianist, you have to have that certain level of professionalism, you know, to be higher from everyone. There are yeah. principles, they judge you, and I think it's fair, you know.
0: Yeah, I always found the piano competitions that I entered in a lot more like, okay, you know, have I heard that person play? I know they're better than me, you know, (laughs) or it's like you send these blind scores in, and uh, even if they don't have any of your markings or anything, and then they pick someone, and you're like, oh man, you do a little research and like, oh, okay, so that person went to Yale. and the person who picked the winner is from Princeton. Okay. And I'm from a tiny little state school. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I know I got a really good education. And I know my work is good. But <laughs> it's just too subjective, you know.
3: Yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of politics involved and, in, mm-hmm. you know, personal approaches. Um, I, I don't like competition, honestly. I really don't like competition between musicians. That's what makes me tired,
2: honestly.
3: <laughs> That's why I mentioned automatically. It's too much. The competition and the people they compete. I don't like that kind of It has, it has a, an aspect of negativity in it, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, I would love people just to encourage them more themselves and, you know, support or say, uh, appreciate their music their performance their their work rather than competing and being jealous you know or thinking Mm -hmm. bad about someone you know i just like that negativity that sometimes i find in the musical
2: world
1: man i need that on like a inspirational poster and i (laughs) did that ten years ago (laughs) that's a very beautiful sentiment i really like that
3: yeah I, i stopped competing a long time ago because i realized it's 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 Nonsense, you know. Um I understand that I'm a musician, I have to promote myself. I understand it's important that you promote myself, but that promotion should not become like your goal. No, it should not be higher than the music that you do. Mm-hmm. It should never become more important that the art that you the craft that you do. That's right. uh, just
0: my Oh yeah. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh let's see. Um maybe we could talk about uh let's see some of your music. Is that okay?
3: Oh, yeah, let's let's do that.
0: <laughs> um okay, so um I know one that I really wanted to talk about was your Echoes from Childhood. Yes. It's a a gorgeous piece. Uh, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about it and um, how it kind of came to be.
2: You know, usually
3: when I write music, say start writing a piece, it usually comes to me as an image. I have this very interesting visual image kind of inspiration. So, and then I put that image into music. So most of the images come to me from my childhood because it, so memorable most of the time not in a good way uh but because it, it, it stayed in me so deep you know and sometimes i get out those images and make their music because they bothered me i just want just to you know peace being yeah. be a peace be with them you know being okay. a piece with those difficult moments uh so echoes from childhood is just just um um, like a episode from my childhood when uh, during those long summer nights when there was no electricity and we lived in apartment building, there was no light at all, like it was complete darkness in the streets, in the apartments, you know, you could just see those um, candle lights from the apartment windows, you know. Uh, but other than that, it was really dark and we used to play hide and seek outside with the kids because we were bored. There was nothing to do at home and it was warm outside. So we would just play until late night outside running, you know. And um I remember our parents were calling us from windows. Like we could just randomly guess whose parent is dead because it was dark. We couldn't see where the, where the voice is coming, you know, come home, it's too late, <laughs> oh, we have Dinner. you know. So it, this, this kind of left me such a um, deep impression in me, you know, um, uh, and I felt that in the air there was a lot of sadness and tragedy because we knew it's war. people are dying, we were hungry, you know life was sad and dark, I, I felt that in the air, you know, I was a little child, but I, I actually felt what's going on around. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the same time, I, I, I wanted to be a child, I wanted to be happy, you know, I, I just wanted to be carefree and because, you know, if you're a child, that's what you do, you just live your carefree life, you know. So that piece is kind of a combination of that carefree ness of a child that you know that joy uh, that wants to see everyone everything in a brighter light but also that darkness and that tragedy and that comes from the world living in a world time you know so I try to create that contrast in in the piece and um my impression and my memories and that all the sounds that I can't I I still can hear I can still hear those sounds people calling from the windows and the birds in the sky you know and it's just it's an episode that I can always see like it was like today it was like that day you know
1: wow well earlier when you mentioned um that you know, Arro Parrot was one of your inspirations. I I absolutely heard that in your music, and I remember thinking when I was listening that I was like, "This is tenantibalism and like just I don't know. You like you said, you you can say so much with so little. And one thing that I really enjoyed about this piece was I was like I felt myself holding my breath, waiting for the next thing to be said in certain moments. And you just draw you draw everyone into this like single point and the single note and you're just like on the edge of your seat like okay what's gonna happen next um oh it was it was such a cool piece to listen to and oh yeah really very a- much
3: yeah you actually described it so interestingly and that was my goal to bring attention to that one
2: yeah
3: uh, one line that i wanted to say you know that um um life is Life can be difficult, but um, but good things exist, you know, and we are the carriers of those good feelings. We, we carry, humans carry both the, the hard chips, the, and, but also the good feelings. You know, you are capable of having those both, and, and that's what I'm trying to show in that piece.
1: Oh, we nailed it. <laughs> Absolutely captured it in that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I love that there's like a <clears throat> well, I noticed with that one and with a couple other pieces, uh like six pictures, uh, there's like this unease for fragility about him. And uh it's just such a remarkably beautiful texture that you create. Um that it feels like if I could describe it like a, an actual object, it's like holding an icicle in a way, you know. It's like this very delicate uh, world that you create is just amazing and uh, and beautiful and inspiring.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I I'm really happy that my message um, got to people and um, those approaches that I have in music. Uh, kind of they prove to be justified you know um i um am, i I am in my life you know i i i appreciate the simplicity and then the minimalism i think um quality is very important to me it's very important, no matter if you are a person or you are making music. Or you are teaching, you know. You should always put the quality above everything.
2: You know, mm-hmm. uh,
3: in the relationship, you know, it doesn't matter if you see that person every day. You see just the day in a month, still you can get so much from that relationship, you know, because of the quality. So I think quality is a really powerful thing. That's that's my approach in writing music. I always think, what could make this piece? of a quality you know so you don't have to say a lot you don't have to write 10 minutes you can write 2 minutes and just say whatever you wanted to say so I'm always in a constant search of finding those tools or all those elements that could help me serve that right amount and um, make it like rightly balanced and meaningful
0: oh I love that I love that idea that you make everything special and it doesn't have to be this long out, you know, long drawn out thing. Like, I mean, I love Mahler, you know, but uh, it, I always remembered when uh, kind of from Amadeus, when they were like, there's just too many notes, you know, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could be a little more poignant in what we're saying, you know? Uh, and it definitely, um Hear that connection with that, and uh, your your love of Arvo Part, and um, and even Hina Stara. You know, like he says so much without taking you on a fifteen minute piano. sonata.
3: without overloading, and even if he's loud, still it's very convincing.
0: And it's very clear. It's very clear. Like I remember playing his, yeah, I remember playing his piano sonata and just think like his first one. And just thinking, even though I'm at fortissimo, the way the piano chords are are voiced, it's just, you can hear each pitch and it's, it's not like jumbled mess, you know? Um, and it's just, it's beautiful. So, bravo.
3: Very <laughs> <laughs> well balanced. I totally agree. I think it's also connected with the time that we live, say in the time of Mahler, it was a different reality, you know? So his writing of this music is timely. I think it just, it responded to the time, but we live in a reality right now where a lot has been said, a lot has been written. So um, in order you can prove yourself being individual creator, composer, you have to be true to the time you have to be true to the reality you know you can't write Mahler music today because today's reality is different we live in a very very um strange and new reality you your music whatever you do craft has to respond to that reality that's why um you have to find the right uh material the right tools and the right uh approaches to write the music that actually portrays that reality
0: yeah i completely agree that you just need to yeah there's a way to do it now it's great um uh, i you know one thing i did notice when i was going through mostly your youtube was there's a lot of performance with a a hake meliakian uh, is this a pianist that you've collaborated with quite a bit?
3: Haik Melikian is a remarkable Armenian pianist uh, who has performed internationally um, for the last 20 years. And um, he's also an honored artist of Armenia, which is a pretty high title in Armenia. Um, since you know i have many piano compositions i always wanted to have um, an album and um for some reason i wanted it to be performed by someone else because my performance is always very comp- composer performance you know mm. i wanted a performance that it will be achievable everyone to say other oh, pianists to understand this is the model i want the composer wants you to do so oh, okay. You know, because with my performance, it's hard for them. It's very improvisational, you know. Mm-hmm. So Haik Malikian, I always um, admired Haik Malikian for his that very sim- simple, but at the same time, so subtle approach to every composer. Like he could just, uh, go, he can go to the core of every composer's music and just show that a right amount, that exact um um exact style of that composer you know that other people who don't know about that composer can listen his performance and get a perfect idea of about his or her style and i liked how modest he is in his approach when he performs there's no no extra emotional, no, nothing extra, you know? Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that kind of performance that he does not put too much extra there, just right amount. And he's, he's a absolute professional when it comes to technique. So the Ortus, which is one of my hardest pieces, technically is actually written for him.
2: Oh, it's wow.
3: It's to him. So, um, so that piece is also in the album and he performed that piece and i think he's probably one of the best performers of that piece i i would say he's the best performer of that piece uh so when the time came and i felt like i've too many piano pieces I, i i i realized i have to i need to do an album Mm-hmm. So, um, Hayk Manikan at that time already played a couple of my pieces, had played in, in Europe and in Armenia, uh, and uh, he was happy to collaborate when we talked about that. And that's how it became to life. We created this Ortus album, which is actually called Ortus, after that piece that dedicated to him. And it was released in um, 2016 in Armenia, and we had a very nice concert presentation. City presentation at Komitas Museum Institute in Yerevan, in Armenia.
0: Awesome! I love learning about composers who, even though they're they're very accomplished performers themselves, they're still like, I prefer if this other person performed. Because <laughs> uh, I remember taking piano lessons and just thinking, man, if I could hear a recording of you know Rachmaninoff playing this, or if I could hear a recording of uh, even like Gershwin or Inastera performing uh, this piece that I'm trying to work on, you'd probably give me a lot better ideas. And my teacher was always like, mm, you'd be surprised. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> we always deviate, you know, we just put some something different there, you know, that at that time we just felt, you know. There's always a little bit of improvisation in every performance of a composer
2: Pianist
3: mm-hmm. I think that's my opinion
0: yeah I you know it's great that you brought up or because I love that piece and it reminded me a lot of uh kind of some catchturrian um and especially with like the multiple mix meter the the uh the six eighths and the twelve eighths and um how you use the accents, not like as you would expect it to fall or there's like a sudden hilt you know uh and it's it's a really cool piece how did you how did you come up with ortus does what, what does ortus mean
3: female name, and Jan means dear. So dear, Shohed. it's a love song about the men singing about his feelings and comparing her beauty with the nature, with the sun, because Shohed in Armenian means also shine, like, a, like sunshine, you know. So um, he compares her with the sun. So uh, uh, when I, when that, image came to me that I want to write this kind of a piece. Like uh, Tanya Leon has a similar piece. I think that was also very big inspiration for me to write this piece. I wanted to write something really bright Armenian. That's why I used the Shogarjan. And that time Shogarjan came my, much to my mind that I could use the Shogarjan because I wanted something, uh, a really bright rhythmic pattern that I could use, you know, and it could it could just help me get what I wanted. And Shogashcan has that nice, um, uh, really, really lively, uh, brilliance, like uh, colorfulness in it, rhythmic, rhythmically. So I use the rhythmic uh, intonations from the Shogashcan to create that piece. And Ortus is from Latin means um, Birth, uh, sunrise, origin, beginning, um, and uh, that's why I I kind of find that word really really fitting for the piece because I didn't want to call it Shogezjan, which the original song name, but I wanted something that would um, point to that beauty of a woman, you know, say being a ma- mother, you know, bringing a life, giving a life, you know, being so powerful like the sun you know the worms that the sun has but the women also has that beauty that can warm you you know so I, I find that orthos is a perfect title for the piece because it um, it has so many different meanings that's very uh, responding to my piece the original idea
0: yeah no I love it I think it's it's such a cool piece and um, it's so athletic <laughs> I was, oh, I was like, was my "Oh project. my god!"
3: <laughs> Every time I practice it for performance, I kind of curse myself because it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom says when I complain, like I I have to practice this. You know, it's hard. She says, "Couldn't you write an easier piece?" You know, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <play?"> no,
1: maybe. <laughs>
3: But that piece was written for Hayek Malikian. So it's it's really, really matching for his abilities. For him, it's, it's, it's okay. It's just, he plays, you can look how he plays. His face expression doesn't even, you know, don't really <laughs> feel funny. like you know, making any efforts, you know.
2: Yeah.
3: Really nice big hands, you know, uh, like Lis you know, and his technique is really, really outstanding. He had played a, a lot of contemporary music.
0: Yeah, his performances are very. Uh, my mom calls him them stoic, um, but like uh, it's not like watching some people who are just kind of like rocking out and you know they're moving all over the place and uh, it's I'm very focused. That's why I like how how um,
3: precise he is in his um, presentation of very precise like he's he knows what he's doing and he feels perfectly you know that's why he was my choice for my album
0: it's great I can't say anything but it's great (laughs) 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 oh yeah I mean I haven't found a single one that I haven't liked so far so
1: so I think one of the other questions that we did have um, looking at our, you know, sheet that we sent over. And this is something that I think I'm more curious about, because I think my only experience with Armenian music was Serge Tankin and um, System of a Down, and I, that was one of my favorite bands growing up, and I loved how hauntingly beautiful his music is, but, you know, I I totally realized that that barely scratches the surface of Armenian music. Um, where what's a great way for people not only in America but around the world to find Armenian composers and maybe learn more about armenia
3: i I was thinking today um what I could really suggest you um that you could do a research Unfortunately, there is so little um in English that you could do research on Armenian composers um but I think first thing that people need to do is to read about Gomitas. Because Gomitas, like Blinka for Russians or Vartek for Hungarians, he is the one who put the foundation of Armenian classical music school. He's the first Armenian musician who studied in Europe. He got the uh, education in Western music and uh, he went to the villages and wrote down all those Folk melodies that passed, had passed to us orally for centuries. So he was the first person who wrote those down with the Western notation also and um, let us gave us a huge opportunity for other coming generation of composers to use that as a source of inspiration as a source of compositional material, you know and including myself. Uh, so Comitas AM is the website that create created for people to learn more about him, his um, biography, his work. There's a long biography and short. So I think first they need to read about Komitas to understand the rest of the composers they come after him, uh, and the principles, the traditions that he put on which our Armenian compositional school is based on, and the members of which I'm also, um, I'm, I'm myself. Uh, so Komitas, um, just a little bit about Komitas. People know why he's so important. Not because he put those Armenian music on a higher level, like created this professional school school the base for the professional school um, but he also arranged armenian folk songs and his own songs for choir so he performed with his own choir he created a choir and he promoted armenian music so he he also performed in europe people did not know about professional armenian music before before him so he was the pr- first person who presented it professionally to wider audiences and um and, uh, promoted Armenian music. Uh, he also did a lot of research on Armenian music. He's one of the first musicologists, ethnomusicologists. He also put the foundation of Armenian ethnomusicology. Um, and, um, he was a great teacher. He had many generations of coming later. His students who, who took those traditions and continues his, his traditions. Uh unfortunately he had a really tragic life. He grew up being orphaned and he he was a priest. That was his first um his job, he being a priest, then the music. So he was ordained priest and um uh he was orphan, so he 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 sang for the church choir and uh grew up in the orphanage. Then uh When he was, um, he was born in 1969, uh, sorry, 1869. In 1915, um, during the Armenian genocide, many Armenian intellectuals were collected separately, like doctors, scientists, writers. Many, many writers died so young. They have such a short life because they were killed during the genocide. And he was among those intellectuals. But, but owing to his friend, uh, it's believed that his Turkish friend actually saved him from being persecuted. But he actually witnessed a lot of atrocities, uh, including his friends being killed. Mm. So he was fortunate to be saved, but he had a mental breakdown, and um, he he was dead, like not not physically, but he was dead.
2: Know mm-hmm.
3: the rest of his life for twenty years until 1935. So he died 1935 in Paris, uh, spending there twenty years in a psychiatric hospital. He did not write any music. He did not do any music because he was he was sick, and um, if, so his his musical activity was until 1915. Whatever he did was. He did a lot was until nineteen fifteen. Uh, so, he's Komitas is one of the symbols of Armenian genocide because um, although he 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 survived, but he his his life is a tragedy you know, mm-hmm. that he could not create. Twenty years he lived, but he could not create. Uh, so, Komitas is the beginning for people to want to start the beginning of Armenian music. He's is the best um, uh, place to start from. Uh, After Komitas, um, there are a couple of composers that I would suggest to do research. Uh, Of course, Kachaturian, everyone knows Kachaturian, but honestly, I consider Kachaturian more like Soviet composer than Armenian composer. And if you listen to some other Armenian composers, you will understand why I, I mentioned this. Uh Arno Babajanian um, is one of the most prolific Armenian composers and he was a pianist, a great pianist. He performed his own compositions. Arno Babajanian. And uh just a few days ago was his hundredth anniversary. Oh, He's wow. one of my most favorite composers to perform, Armenian composers. His piano music is a part of my repertoire. Um uh, Tigran Mansurian, he is still alive. He's one of the greatest contemporary composers, Armenian contemporary composers. Um, his music is really brilliant. The way he presents his Armenian identity in it, and it also stays aligned with the contemporary world, is really brilliant. So his he's also kind of like a model for me that I I follow. And um Edvard Mirzoyan who was for many years who was the um the head of the composers union of Armenia. So he did he did a lot for the for Armenian music, like musical life in Armenia during the Soviet time. Um, um I would like to mention also uh, my professor is still alive. He teaches at the conservatory. He's also really, really uh, interesting uh, contemporary composer. Um, Ashod Zohrabian. Zohrabian is the last name. Ashod is the first name. Ashod Zohrabian. Um, People probably know about um, Harutunian, Alexander Harutunian, who wrote that famous uh, trumpet concerto. He's, He's He's famous for that concerto because it has been so much performed outside of Armenia. Uh, he, he, he passed away Mm
2: -hmm.
3: 10 years ago. I don't remember, but he was in 90 something years old. Wow. So those are, um, among the, the most remarkable Armenian composers that can start from. But there is an Armenian uh, national music page in Facebook, which does great work of promoting Armenian performers and Armenian composers, Most like mainly Armenian music. I do suggest everyone to follow that page because that gives you so much information about uh, all those performers who, who are scattered around the world, the Armenian performers and they also post armenian music. Oh cool. So it has the YouTube channel Armenian National Music and also the Facebook page.
0: Oh cool.
1: Man, thank you so much. I feel like I got a mini history lesson and now I've I've got so many notes of all these people to go research. I'm so excited. <laughs>
0: Me too. I can't wait to hear more.
3: Happy to provide more information needed.
0: Oh yeah, I mean I'm always um I mean, I we say, you know, our little tagline is, you know, the world is a buffet and it's time to eat. But it's like, it's true. There's so many, so much music out there in the world that oh, it's, I can't get enough. I just want to keep sampling, you know.
3: Indeed, yeah. There's so much that we still have to discover. Um, I also forgot to mention about Alan Hoganis. Oh, yeah. Uh, Breaking composer of Armenian descent. He's a pretty interesting composer to me. Uh, of course, he's not the Armenian composer that I mentioned, that type of Armenian composer, um, mm-hmm. but he's, he's unique in his own way of featuring his Armenian um, background, his Armenian roots. But because he grew up, he, he did not grow up in Armenia, his way of pre- presenting it is very different.
2: Yeah, but
3: still, remember. I um, I I really like his his way of um, trying to stay in touch with his roots and trying to uh, showcase his background.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Tadev, uh, on being on our podcast and uh, educating us on Armenian music and your style, and uh, and just it, it's been so interesting and so lovely talking with you.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me and giving me opportunities to share my background and my thoughts. It's, um, it's, it's really a real pleasure to, have, to be able to do that here.
1: year. Uh, well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us and for giving us a new set of resources to go check out to learn more about Armenian music. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure to speak with you.
3: Thank you too. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website.
0: You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more.
1: If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at sounds of the world podcast at gmail.com well bill i think i'm gonna go have a beer now
0: hey there you go